0: Hi, I'm Jim Calloway.
1: And I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the 39th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology.
0: Today, our topic is Legal Talk Network, taking legal podcasts to the next level.
1: We're pleased to welcome as our guest, Luann Reeb, the co-founder and president of Legal Talk Network, LLC, which came into being in 2005. Luann is a two-time Emmy Award-winning journalist and a faculty member at Emerson College in Boston, teaching marketing and public relations. She is a very frequent speaker on marketing topics. Welcome, Lu.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, Jim and Sharon. I'm and talking to you from Blizzard, Boston. We're still digging out a little bit here, but thanks for having me.
1: Oh, you bet. We uh, we certainly saw the photos on the Today Show this morning. Uh, and just to make sure the audience knows, I am a presenter on Legal Talk Network's digital detective podcast, along with my business partner here at Sensei, John Simic. And that's how I got to know Lou, who is obviously at the forefront of much that's happening in the world of electronic marketing.
0: Lou, I'm sure pleased to meet you, virtually at least. Can you tell us how the idea for the Legal Talk Network came about?
2: Well, sure, thanks. Well, it came about, like all our ideas here, really from our broadcast careers, using what we learned in broadcast news. Don't hold that against me that I was in broadcast news. <laughs> but we, we, we used what we learned in broadcast news that worked and didn't use what we watched happening in the broadcasting world in the late 90s that was beginning not to work. What works is great content, as both of you know, and knowing what content your audience is interested in. I call that knowing your audience. The idea for Legal Talk Network was really narrowcasting instead of broadcasting, and doing that in a B2B environment as opposed to communicating with the general public. So, for example, lawyers talking to lawyers and legal professionals about timely professional topics. We spend a lot of time here researching those timely legal news and issues, just as we did researching topics in TV news, for example. And we also spend a lot of time finding high-quality experts to share their knowledge. So we really took the broadcast model and morphed it into a new media model.
1: How many podcasts do you currently have online at Legal Talk Network, and how fast does the number of podcasts tend to grow? Well, we currently
2: have about I'm going to say a little over 700 podcasts available, and that's since the beginning of time when we launched Legal Talk Network in 2005. So, listeners can listen to any of those still. We grow the audience in three really, three main priority categories content, distribution channels such as RSS, iTunes, the website, Legal Talk Network's website, legal bloggers, and the third. Priority category is marketing. Pull marketing and search engine optimizations are really our friends here at Legal Talk Network. You'll notice, and it's not by accident, most of our attorneys who are hosting our programs are avid legal bloggers. For example, Lawyer to Lawyer was the first show, and now our flagship show with attorneys Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Both of those lawyers were early adopters in the legal blogosphere. So. And, and now they're both really world-renowned legal bloggers. Bob Ambroji made me say that, actually. No, I'm kidding. Um,
1: <laughs> I, I can believe that of Bob, and he's my friend. <laughs> he is my friend, too. Uh,
2: so Lordy Lawyer, has been around for five years now, and that particular program gets over 70,000 listeners a month. A new Legal Talk Network podcast can really expect to get an average of about 10,000 listeners in about three to four months if all our strategies are in place. So when we start a podcast, it certainly doesn't get 10,000, but the key to it is regularity of publishing. So most of our podcasts are once a month, some are twice a month, and Lawyer to Lawyer is weekly, and that accounts for the high number of listeners to that because we have four, essentially an average of four, Lawyer to Lawyer programs each month.
0: Could you give us an idea of the range of topics that the podcasts cover? Well,
2: Jim, how much time do you have here? (laughs) (laughs) Not much. (laughs) We have a really wide range. As you well know, experts in the legal profession yourselves, there's an unlimited amount of good topics, good content, interesting content to talk about when it comes to legal topics. For example, Sharon, as she mentioned, co-hosts Digital Detectives here on Legal Talk Network, which is all about everything having to do with e-discovery, and that's a huge area, In fact, we have two Legal Talk Network podcasts covering that topic. The other one is the ESI report that we produce for Crow on Track, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And we've dedicated a special segment of the Legal Talk Network website for just that topic. It's in the eDiscovery Center. You can check it out. But Legal Talk Network, for example, Lawyer to Lawyer covers very timely news topics, court cases, anything from the Supreme Court to social media in the legal sphere. Another one, Ringler Radio, also on Legal Talk Network, is about structured settlements. Plaintiff lawyers like to listen to that one to get in for the latest information about structured settlements in that industry. IP Council, for example, is about intellectual property patents, trademarks. Very important area for business today and for lawyers today. We have uh, two podcasts targeting law students, BU Law, Boston University Law, and Suffolk University Law. Other ones on Billable Hour, that's about everything lawyers can't bill for. I know they don't like to talk about that, but it's important, practice management, et cetera. Another example is Workers' Comp Matters. You can tell from the name of it, it's about workers' compensation law. And we have two about legal technology, the Kennedy Mile Report, and that's a big area, legal technology. And uh, Law Technology Now, which is hosted by Monica Bay. For, so, But there are 20 programs to choose from. And we're launching a new one, i got to say, in January, called New Solo. And that's addressing topics for new lawyers who are going solo in their practice because that is one of the biggest trends in the legal profession today. So our goal every quarter is to launch three new podcasts.
1: Who's going to do the new uh, solo podcast, Lou? I can't tell you. (laughs) Crafty. She is crafty, this lady. Okay, we'll allow you your little. You'll secret.
2: have to wait till January when uh, it launches.
1: <laughs> yes, ma'am. Well, <laughs> Jim, I think uh, Luke kind of answered my next question uh, in in a previous answer. So you want to go on to yours?
0: Sure. I was uh, one of my goals, of course, is to find as many free legal resources that I can for for lawyers, and and uh, that's a great podcast or a great source of free information. But obviously, it's not free to produce them. So how do you? Find your podcasters and sponsors, and how do you match them together?
2: Well, thanks for acknowledging that, Jim. They are free to the listener, and we have always sort of kept that mantra. People ask us all the time, have you ever thought about subscription-based? We feel like people really don't want to pay for the content, so somebody has to pay for it, and sponsors are happy to pay for it. We vet our host and subject content as well as the guests on every program very, very carefully. We like to have podcast hosts who are well-known within their specialty and hosts who understand the value proposition for themselves. And this is a really, really important point. For example, a lawyer who wants to gain exposure, and I mean exposure in the good exposure way, can think of podcasting as a marketing strategy for themselves. If you notice on Legal Talk Network we have a description in the RSS includes links to the hosts and guests websites. So not only are you listening to a lawyer who's hosting the program really showing off his or her expertise in a good content way, but we also allow listeners to gain more information about the host and the guest by linking directly to their websites. Now as for sponsors, they want to reach that audience that we're building and continue to build. It's not easy out there to get a lawyer's attention now, is it? Especially if you're trying to reach them with a message about their product or services. For example, you know, practice management software. So we have sponsors such as LexisNexis, SunTrust, Ringler Associates, Curl on Track, and they like to get their message embedded in the podcast. And that's one way that the sponsors pay in truly a traditional media fashion, just like regular television, traditional television and radio, so there are commercials embedded in the podcast. The, the beauty of that for sponsors is that it isn't like a traditional media buy that goes away. It stays with the podcast as long as it's available for listeners. So that really is the value proposition. So you think of it on two levels, for the hosts and the guests, it gains exposure, PR for them so that people can find them when they're searching for content. I'll give you one example, and I like to use this one, a 468B trust. You know, I don't really know a lot about that because I'm not a lawyer, but lawyers need to know about that, and they often are searching by Google. If you search 468B trust by in, in Google, the first thing that appears on the Google search result Is the Legal Talk Network program about that? So for the person who's searching for information, then you might click on that podcast and listen to it and listen to the lawyer who hosts it talking about a 468B trust, if that's what you're interested in finding out about.
1: Well, I'm really interested in your business model, Lou. I I know you get monies from the sponsors. Is there any other monies that you get other than the sponsorship money? Uh, Is that covering all of the expenses and your time and effort, et cetera, et cetera, and those who work with you?
2: That's a really good question. We really have two revenue streams here at Legal Talk Network in our business model. The first we just talked about in terms of sponsors who want to run their commercials inside some of our podcasts, not all of them. The other revenue stream is for the lawyer, the law firm that wants this marketing strategy from a full development standpoint. In other words, we develop the high quality content and embed their, I call it subtle messaging within the program itself. And we create those talk show style programs that are interesting and easy technologically to listen to with our distribution channels of iTunes, the RSS feed, the Legal Talk Network website, legal bloggers. And as you know, as a blogger, people will be looking for content to blog about. And oftentimes, the links to our podcasts are passed along virally. And we encourage everybody to do that. So if a company or a law firm came to us and said, we want to use this marketing strategy, we start from the very beginning. Because in, in essence, we are a marketing company, and we find out about their law practice and what their message is that they want to get out and develop the content um, in, in that vein. It's really an integrated marketing mix these days, choosing what works for your business, your law firm. Law firms are a business now, and I think more lawyers are recognizing that. So maybe those full-page ads in a print magazine aren't working as well for you in terms of ROI You might want to try podcasting as a different method. That's actually one of the things that I teach at Emerson College, this media shift from traditional to new media that is really giving you a much better ROI. We keep metrics on all the podcasts so you know how many people you're reaching with this kind of marketing strategy. I hope that answers your question.
1: It sure does. Thank you.
0: That's very interesting. As you know, Sharon and I do a lot of traditional Lawyers Continuing Legal Education Programs, where we uh, go and speak to groups of lawyers. How do you see podcasting fitting into the legal education model? Do you know how many states now allow for mandatory continuing legal education credit for listening to podcasts? And is that number increasing, or have you seen any other trends in that regard?
2: Well, I have. And, you know, at the beginning of time, back in 2005, it was a, a challenge to get podcasting adopted for CLE, but it was a natural transition. I'm glad you brought it up because we know how difficult and costly it became to travel, to go to a seminar, to hear a presenter speak in person. So downloading a podcast to hear high-quality content from legal experts, lawyers and whatnot is now well accepted as CLE. The complicating factors still today, and you both know this, are that every state bar has different rules. I expect that someday that may be standardized across the United States, and many of our Legal Talk Network podcasts are available for CLE credit. Currently, lawyers can access them from our website and click to find the credits that meet their criteria for CLE, but I think it's a win-win for everybody.
1: Well, I certainly agree with you, but I know in Virginia, where I sat on the MCLE board for six years, I heard a lot of opposition in the early days to podcasts. Most especially, I think, because board members felt that people were really focused perhaps on driving or exercising and not necessarily focused on learning from the podcast, which of course is the point. In Virginia, we eventually won the war and now the podcasts are routinely approved for CLE credit.
2: Education really is all what it's all about. The The lawyer who is more briefed on the newest trends and issues is the lawyer that I want.
0: I'm uh, reminded that Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile of the Kennedy Mile Report advocate listening to podcasts on double speed to uh, be more efficient. So (laughs) that will give the MCLE regulators something to really think about there, Sharon.
1: It sure will, Jim. (laughs)
0: Lou, what's been your greatest surprise with the Legal Talk Network?
2: Well, at the beginning of time when we launched in 2005, our first surprise was educating professionals about new media. For example, how to listen or watch online. I'm going to tell you a funny story here. We were back then literally answering questions from – these are lawyers who have gone to law school. And they would say things like, I can't hear the podcast. And we would say, well, do you have the speakers turned up on your computer? (laughs) To which some would answer – Oh, I need speakers. <laughs> that's a true story. I like to tell that story. We we
1: which, we've we've experienced that too, <laughs>
2: which you know, fortunately, doesn't come up too often nowadays. But coming from broadcasting, we were ahead of the adoption life cycle in terms of technology, so we had to be patient. But now, I'll tell you, our biggest surprise is how fast the audience is growing, and that's really a good thing. It's a good surprise, and we're very fortunate here to have started a little ahead of that curve. We're thrilled with how much feedback. I love to get the emails from people, from lawyers to law students, really every day, and I'm always happy to talk to a legal professional who has an idea for a topic, or a guest, or even a new show.
1: How do companies fit podcasting in with other electronic marketing efforts? Do you have any thought about which mediums give you the greatest return on investment, Lou?
2: Well, Sharon, I'll go back to um, the media shift. And this is what I talk a lot about in terms of speeches to professionals. We saw it happening. I worked at CBS Boston as executive news producer for many years. We saw it in the late in mid to late 90s beginning to happen, the shift from traditional sort of live TV and radio to the Internet. Now the shift is in full swing. So think about it. The newspapers... God love them are struggling to get people to read the paper. Now, how many times have you actually sat down to read the newspaper, held it in your hand and read it? I love newspapers, but now people want to consume information online because it's faster. They can reach, they can get a wider reach of knowledge, both for their profession and personally. So, really, to answer your question, podcasts are simple to consume. Online video, I think, is coming a very close second and we all know youtube made that happen if you can create i think if you can create quality content and not just you know like kittens on a treadmill on youtube there (laughs) there is great value in b2b video and video is one of our priority initiatives here at legal talk for 2011 coming up good quality video that tells a story we come from Broadcast news, so we like to tell a story with video, not just the talking head. And actually, we have produced marketing video for over a decade in other B2B environments like life sciences, medical, et cetera. So we think there's a place for that in legal too. But we really do have to think about it beyond the talking head. I think you'll see some things on Legal Talk Network in that direction coming up in 2011. But the bottom line really is we created a new way for legal professionals and sponsors to reach that audience, and it all goes back to ROI. And if you can get your message heard using podcasting, I think that's only going to be a benefit in the next year and with video in the next year and years to come.
0: I understand you've recently started the Boston Media Group. Can you quickly tell us what that is?
2: Sure, Jim, thanks for um, mentioning that. So the Boston Media Group really grew out of it, sprouted out of a market need, and those are some of the best business models. We had a lot of clients who knew that we came from broadcasting and that we know how to tell a good story, whether it's with a podcast or video, and they were asking us to develop an integrated marketing strategy for them. So an example would be, even if it's not in the legal community, a company may want to hear have their message told in a variety of mediums, including print, including television, including new media. So you know, the marketing pie is used to be split in really three ways. Now it's split in about 30 ways. And the key to it is knowing what your budget needs to be in order to provide that marketing mix. And that's what the Boston Media Group does, companies come to us and say, look, we have X amount of dollars to spend, but we're not sure where the marketing mix should lie in terms of execution of that. And we spend a lot of time understanding that company or law firm's business model in order to make the target hit the best way for the budget spend.
1: This, this really is, is fascinating information. I, I wish you great luck with the Boston Media Group. But do you think to get back to a legal talk network, do you think that the legal podcast market is likely to remain as strong as we've seen it Because there, there, as you said, there's so many media vehicles now competing for our attention. What do you think, Lou? I, I
2: think podcasting is going to be very strong still for many years to come. You know, we watched as television evolved over many years to cable television, to satellite TV, and all sorts of things. And then TiVo kind of busted that market a little bit, for sponsors anyway, trying to get their message heard. I think the bottom line is content. And if the content is good in a podcast, there are some that are not so good, as we all three of us know. I think the audience will be able to differentiate between good content and not so good content. And if it's valuable to them in their business, their profession, or personally in their interests, I think it's going to grow exponentially. And the good thing about audio podcasting is it's portable. And I know the decision makers, for example, this is one of the things that I teach at Emerson in terms of marketing. The decision makers, sad to say, are much younger than I – these are the folks that we call millennials. I happen to have two of them at home, <laughs> and those folks are the ones who are much younger. They grew up with computers. They have an iPod. I walk into a room at home, and my boys will have a laptop, an iPod, their iPhone or Blackberry, the TV, and God knows what else plugged into their ear, and they're having multiple conversations at once. And these are the folks that we have to reach, not the old fuddy-duddies like me, necessarily, who aren't as good at multitasking or technology. But if we look at the millennials, they're in the job market. They're the ones that are going to be making the decisions. They're the new lawyers. And really, this is their lifestyle. And that's we have to reach them where they are, I think. That's, that's our main strategy.
0: Lou, this has been a fascinating podcast. Even though Sharon and I have done our podcast for more than three years now, we're still amazed at how wide an audience legal podcasts have. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and expertise on this topic.
2: Well, I thank you both very much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. In three years, you guys have a, get a lot of credit for staying with it for three years, and I'm sure three more, six more. 12 more. And uh, I, I think your message is, is you know, really successful. And, and people will download this podcast because of the effort that you folks put into it.
1: Well, thank you very much for the kind words, Lou. And that's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology.
0: Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon.
1: Happy trails, cowboy.